to season two, episode six of Vixen, a Black beauty and pop culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is another special roundup. In this series, we're going to be talking about Black pinup girls and burlesque dolls. This episode focuses on Tony Elling and Jean Idell. Now, let's start the show. Hey y'all, this week's episode is another roundup episode. I did one like this last season with the Black Bond Girls, but I am really, really excited about this one. Um, if you guys read the title, you already know it's Black Pinup Girl Week, Black Burlesque Week. So I want to make this a series because I have a lot of women who fit the criteria for this that I want to do episodes on. So in this series, we're going to talk about pinup girls, burlesque dancers, exotic dancers, the history of like black exotic dancers all of that stuff so this is going to be a series so it won't be the last because i definitely cannot get enough of these women um i want to shout out my good good sis joriel for being the inspiration behind this episode like two weeks ago she sent me an article called why girls become shake dancers and that gave me the idea to do a series on burlesque girls because i was already thinking about it but i was like i don't know like if i would want to combine it or what i would want to do so she definitely kind of fueled my creativity by sending me that article. So thanks, girl. I will link that article in my show notes um, as well. And all right, let's get right into it. Before we get into this week's individual subjects, I want to give a very brief history on Black burlesque and just burlesque in general. Burlesque comes from the Italian word burla, which basically means like a comedy performance in theater. So one of the earliest forms of burlesque comes from the 20th century Victorian era. It was typically like a part of a menstrual show. These days, when you hear the word, you might think of like Moulin Rouge or something because burlesque is typically associated with white women. But black women have played a huge role in the art and there were um, many famous black burlesque dancers. The earliest form of black burlesque would be shake dancing, which can be traced back to 1880. So shake dancing was really popular in the South and considered erotic you know, eccentric and informal. It kind of like reminds me of twerking a little bit. Um, So it started off as a women's dance, but then men started to create their own versions. The Real Black Bottom Dance is a popular dance move that started to gain traction shortly after shake dancing came around. And like its predecessor, this dance was also popular amongst Southern Blacks and had traveled up north to places like the Cotton Club. Uh, But it hit mainstream America in the 1920s. Like I said, these kind of dances, they kind of remind me of twerking and um, I think in New Orleans, it's still called shaking or shake dance. Y'all know like how New Orleans people be dancing. Y'all know what I mean? The men and the women do it. So it's kind of like an earlier version of that. And I believe it's still called shake dancing in New Orleans. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, yes, so these kind of dances hit mainstream America in the 1920s. And as usual, y'all already know how it got to mainstream America. Some white folks saw black performers doing the dances in Harlem, and then they incorporated the moves into their own routines. Mae West uh, was famous for like taking stuff from black people. She was really inspired black by black culture she's one of the people who did this and there were a lot of other people other white people who did this it's a tale as old as time unfortunately burlesque became a really popular dance form and entertainment attraction from there on it kind of fizzled out in the 1970s with the influx of strip clubs which we'll talk about a little bit later the strip clubs tended to be like a little bit more suggestive than burlesque uh but it's starting to see a revival now 
So here's a quote about the art of burlesque from one of our subjects, Tony Ellen. Parading is when you go on stage and get acquainted with the audience. Essentially, you make pretty pictures with your movements and then you take off your clothes. That's the name of the game, striptease. All right, so let's get into our first subject, Miss Jean Idell. So there's not much known about Jean Idell's early life, like her birth date or exactly where she's from. But one thing that is known is that she knew from a young age she wanted to be a professional dancer. After high school, Jean studied under Katherine Dunham's um, dance school, who I will be doing an episode on in the future. She's really interesting. Eventually, Jean was discovered by a talent agency and they brought up burlesque to her as an option. So she was intrigued and she went to her mother and she's like hey I want to be a burlesque dancer and naturally her mother was like about to fall out because (laughs) it was 1950 so y'all already know so she was like no oh my god so she made Jean go speak to their local pastor to get her to change her mind but the pastor was like listen if burlesque is what you really want to do then you should follow your dream so that's how she became a burlesque dancer so Jean started working with a choreographer who trained her to become a burlesque fan dancer which was really really difficult because this is a style of burlesque where you hold this huge fan the entire dance like even when you take your dress off like you have to be holding the fan at all times the fan is also like one of the biggest props of the burlesque world so people who can do burlesque fan routines well are like you know they're very coveted and this was also used by white dancers for the most part so Jean had to go really really hard to be able to be good at this and the hard work paid off because it became her signature dance so now Jean is the first black exotic fan dancer and she becomes a headliner at Minsky's Rialto Theater in Chicago which is a very famous burlesque theater it was like known for its vaudeville shows it had a lot of like really popular white burlesque stars there as well um and she was the only black one Around this time, Jean met Bill Holiday, no relation to Billie Holiday, who was the only black man in the cast with her, and he was the master of ceremonies. Bill was actually pretty cool himself. Like, he had his own fame. Um, he was a trumpet player, a ventriloquist, and very interesting, a balloon twister. So, like, you know, when clowns come to your party and they do those balloon shapes, like, he was one of the people that was, like, very, very good at that, and he was known for it as well. So the two became a couple and they eventually get married in the 1960s. So Jean was an in-demand dancer between 1950 and 1963, which was obviously a very, very racially segregated time. She was one of the first performers to perform in whites-only clubs before the Civil Rights Act. And she was constantly booked and busy. She performed in clubs all over the world and they called her the sepia Sally Rand. I'm assuming Sally Rand is like a famous burlesque girl. And they were like, oh, she's the black version of her. Um, So Jean really set the bar high for a lot of other burlesque girls that came after her because she was one of the first internationally performing black American dancers, like not even just in burlesque, just in general, black American dancers in general. She was so popular that she quickly started making the equivalent of what would now be $125,000 a year, which is, you know, good money now, great money then. So this will just, it's just telling you like how famous she really was. So Jean retired from burlesque in 1963 to focus on her family. And in June 2012, she was inducted to the Burlesque Hall of Fame and gave her first performance in decades. The next year, she was featured in the Burlesque Hall of Fame's exhibit called Not So Hidden Histories, Performers of Color in Burlesque. There was also a television segment made about her life called The Jean Idell Story, and that won an Emmy. To close it out, here's a quote from Miss Jean herself. When I danced, the white crowds came in to see the black woman, which was taboo in those days. 
After I was finished dancing, they forgot all about my race and just appreciated a good performance by an elegant and skillful burlesque dancer. Talent is the greatest equalizer. If you got it, you got it. So yes, that is Jean Idell's story. I feel like we could have had a drinking game. I probably should have said this in the beginning. <laughs> like, y'all could have a drinking game of, like, how much I say burlesque in this episode. Drink responsibly, though. Don't do shots. Like, don't do shots. Just, like, sip your drink. <laughs> but, okay, let's talk about the next burlesque girl. Rosita Sims was born in Detroit, Michigan to Joseph and Myrtle Sims. She was the oldest of three children in a hardworking family, so getting into the arts and other creative fields was not really encouraged. In a 2014 interview with The Statesman, Rosita said, Mother said I couldn't carry a tune in a basket. They hushed me up. I sang in the shower or the bath. I could lock the door and they couldn't do anything about it. So fast forward to 1959. Rosita is now in her 30s and she had been working as a telephone operator at the Michigan Bell Telephone Company for nine years with no promotion in sight. Like imagine working for the same people for nearly 10 years and you get like no recognition, no promotion, no pay raise, nothing. Like, that's wild. That is something that, like, millennials, I, we would never do anything like that. Millennials will leave a job because they don't like, you know, the color of the walls. Like, <laughs> we'll leave a job for anything. So it's just crazy to think that, you know, she stayed loyal to this company for so long. Um, but, of course, Rosita is frustrated and she's like, I need to make more money and I need to get out of this dead-end job. So around 1961, Rosita befriends a woman named Rita, who was a traveling stripper. Rita would tell Rosita all these fabulous stories about her travels, and it sounded really glamorous, and of course this intrigues Rosita. So knowing that Rosita felt stuck at her job, Rita's like, hey, you should start stripping. At first, Rosita was offended, but then she thought about it and she changed her mind. Um, and, and in that interview with the Statesman from 2014, she says, I was like a lot of other people. I didn't know anything about it. The more I thought about it, I realized I could probably do that. So I went to my younger, wiser brother. He said, you can be yourself and do anything. So with that encouragement, I did. You guys have probably noticed I've been calling Tony Rosita her birth name. So once she decides to become a burlesque dancer, she decides to change her name to Tony Elling, which was inspired by her friend Duke Ellington. Yes, the Duke Ellington, but more about that later. So from now on, I'm going to call her Tony. Tony sets off to try to get into the world of burlesque and she looks into getting a choreographer. So the choreographer she meets tries to suggest that she start out at like the lowest club on the totem pole which be which would be like the equivalent of stripping in a dive bar so like if you think about the nastiest bar in your city or your town or whatever that's where this choreographer thought tony should start so tony says to the choreographer i wouldn't even go past that place let alone go in and the woman responds and she's like so where do you think you can start girl you're new <laughs> the flame show bar and tony's like yeah well i might as well start at the top so the Flame Show Bar was the place for Black folks who wanted um, an upscale entertainment experience. People like Dina Washington, B.B. King, Joe Turner, Billie Holiday, and Etta James, they all performed there very often. So it's definitely like the top tier uh, performance venue. So Tony gets hired there. And after her first performance, she quickly booked a gig as the opening act. And she gained a lot of popularity and traction very quickly. However, there were a lot of places she couldn't work because of segregation. 
Um, so she wasn't really dancing outside of Michigan until she booked a gig in Ohio. And that performance was so good that it gained her even more popularity across the country. So she started to get booked outside of Michigan at this point. And then she becomes a traveling burlesque dancer. So back to her friendship with Duke Ellington, the two met at a show at Detroit's Paradise Theater and they became fast friends. So her name, Tony Elling, is actually a play on his name and then his song, Satin Doll, is inspired by her. So even though the two were really close, their relationship was platonic. Um, when asked about the relationship, Tony said, he was very funny. He was my confidant. People now try to make more out of it, but we were just friends. She had a couple other famous friends, too. Um, she hung out with Ella Fitzgerald, Joe Lewis, and guess who, y'all? Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> if you don't know why that's funny, you need to go listen to other episodes of the podcast. But yes, we have a running joke that Sammy Davis Jr. is, like, all up in women's business. He's involved in, like, so many beautiful women and beautiful and talented women's careers throughout like the 60s and 70s is really insane he knows absolutely everybody I think this is we're now on the seventh time that he's been brought up in an episode but back to Tony so as y'all know in show business like especially burlesque you have to have a gimmick to be successful and to be noticed so even though Tony wasn't a burlesque um, star for very long her career was about eight years she quickly gained traction because she kept her a gimmick, okay? Like, <laughs> she was kind of like an actress on stage. So one of her famous acts was Spanish-themed, and she wore, like, a flamingo outfit. Um, she also had one where she wore a wedding dress, and then she had another one where she, like, pretended to be a streetwalker. She also started incorporating a lot of singing into her acts, which was um, very unlike the rest of her peers at the time. Working at a club in San Francisco, the owner, who was a former Japanese burlesque star herself, called back home to tell people about Tony, like how great she was, how she couldn't believe Tony was in her 30s. Um, and then Tony ended up getting booked to be the opening act of a really popular club in Japan. And the contract was for 10 weeks, but she was so good and they loved her so much that she stayed for six months. So at this point, Tony is performing all over the place and she never stayed in one place for very long. Like that six months gig was probably the longest. So eventually a lot of copycat acts popped up using the exact same gimmick. In the Statesman interview, Tony said that she had got sick of people copying her and that's how she came up with her very famous Afro act. So here's a quote from her about that. I found I was working everywhere. I got sick of people copying me. I decided to do something nobody else could do, an Afro act. I was known for my ladylike approach to the profession. Nobody could believe me doing Afro. And there weren't that many black entertainers in Oregon at the time. Nobody could copy that. So, so this was before the Black is Beautiful movement of the 1970s. So performing in an Afro was very taboo. And it was like something that nobody had ever really seen before. That's definitely in Oregon, I bet. So y'all can imagine like what kind of splash this act made. So another thing about Tony was that she was known for her elegance, like she said, and her strict rules of not taking off her panties and not wearing G-strings. She said she decided not to do these things because, and this is a quote, entertainment, yes, but the idea is to suggest what's there, not throw off all your clothes and reveal everything. That's why they call it striptease. So remember, Tony had already had a 10-year corporate career before burlesque, and she was 32 years old when she started dancing. 
Um, definitely one of the oldest amongst her peers, but it doesn't matter because she was the baddest anyway, though. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know what the other women looked like. And 32 isn't old anyway, honestly. But you know, back then that was like ancient. You should be like a married mother of two by that point in that time. But she's a baddie for real. I mean, the 30s and burlesque was definitely considered retirement age. And a lot of her peers were retiring just as she was getting started. So it was actually pretty cool that she garnered so much attention and became such a star because she was considered old. In 1970, Tony decided to move her act to LA permanently. She began coaching strippers on the side and teaching studio classes after being asked by a high-powered LA agent to do so. So like basically how um, how Jean Idell was discovered by an agent that people would do the same thing uh, throughout the years for like trying to find other burlesque dancers or just dancers in general and they would want them to take training classes so that they could be you know more profitable. So um, Tony did this for a few years and then decided to retire from dance in 1974 because she didn't really like the way stripper culture was going. Uh, it was basically getting too raunchy for her. She said, there's too much nudity and no class. What most girls are doing now is not stripping, it's acrobatics. So I think like the style of stripping she's talking about is like that like late 70s, 80s look of strippers, like the big hair, the full nudity, like Hustler magazine type stripping that goes on in like Vegas strip clubs. I feel like that's what she was saying, like was a no-no for her. But imagine if she went to a strip club now, like imagine her at like Allure or Magic City or something, she will fall out. Like if she saw like that spinning move that girls do now where like one girl stands on the other girl and they like spin around the pole, I feel like Miss Tony will lose it if she saw that. <laughs> but um, anyway, in 2015, Tony won the Burlesque Hall of Fame Living Legend Award and then she was inducted into the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2016. Today, she still makes appearances at burlesque festivals and events. Um, and yeah, she's very much alive. Uh, she apparently runs her own Facebook page and everything. So yeah, that is Tony Elling's story. This is probably the burlesque girl I was most excited about because I found out who she was a while ago, like just scrolling through Tumblr. And then I looked her up like really briefly and I saw that she was in her 30s when she got started. So I was like, I love that. We definitely got to talk about Miss Tony on the podcast. So I'm excited I got a chance to tell her story today. Hey guys, so that's our ladies for this week. What do you guys think about this series? Is this something that y'all want to hear more of? Like, let me know because I could talk about this all day. We'll have a little drinking game. Like I said, take a sip every time I say burlesque. Um, I like doing black burlesque research because it just like, it's a very interesting concept. And also it just seems like the attitude towards burlesque dancers is so different from the way society perceives strippers and exotic performers today. It kind of feels like dancers were way more accepted by Black Americans. Like the women we talked about today were in magazines, they were revered, all of that. And I think that society is starting to become more accepting towards like strippers and like cam models and people like that than a few years ago, but not like how Black burlesque dancers were. Like, what do you guys think? That's really interesting to me. Um, I love that the community was loving on them as they should. And yeah, I mean, it just seems like they were more revered. Maybe people thought like they had more actual talent. Um, a lot of them were trained dancers. So like that could have been it as well. But, you know, and then also like, like I said earlier, burlesque is typically associated with white women. So I don't even think I knew there were black burlesque dancers up until a few years ago. So 
definitely want to explore this topic more. I hope you guys um, like this series because I'm really, really looking forward to doing more. But yeah, all right, y'all. So that is all for this episode. I hope you guys liked this. Make sure you let me know what you think about the burlesque series. Um, I need to go work on next week's episode like right now because y'all are going to be really excited about that one. I'm really excited about this one and next week's episode so let me go get started on that and i will see y'all next week bye thank you for listening to vixen if you liked today's episode don't forget to leave a review if you have a submission feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com we'll be back next week with an all-new episode